0: We used to trust Wall Street, at least that Wall Street was focused on making money. Greed is good. That was the mantra of Gordon Gekko in the 1987 Oliver Stone movie titled Wall Street that starred Michael Douglas. Remember that? You might not have agreed with Gekko's approach, but maybe you liked his style. Private planes, fancy clothes, fast cars, a cell phone the size of a brick. Those were the days. Uh, Greed wasn't good. It wasn't good then. It's not good now. But a profit motive can be good. Investment profits can provide for retirement, help advance technology, and allow for generosity. In today's woke world, however, profits are evil. The problem is that Wall Street hasn't cleaned up its act. In so many ways, it's worse than the greed in days past. At least then, you knew the motive was profit. It was straightforward. But now the motive is hidden behind good-sounding things like responsible investing and ESG, environment, social, governance. The problem is that these motives are often anti-America and anti-family. We've warned about this for years, and we get calls, emails, and letters from viewers who are fed up with what Wall Street is doing. We got one today. Let me read it to you. It says, we love watching the show, always so much valuable information, We're unable to find a financial advisor that believes, as we do, in investing in America. We sent our current financial advisor the information to sign up for economic war room plan several times, and he's not interested. We need help getting a list of financial advisors. Polling shows that ESG is not what people want. They want investments that support their family and their country. And they want a decent return so they can have a better life. It's simple. Sadly, Wall Street no longer cares about those things. They instead want to cram down a progressive agenda focused on climate change, critical race theory and the LGBTQ agenda. One of our early contacts that we received from one of our viewers, Catherine Novikov, has become a great friend of the Economic War Room. She sees the need and has stepped up to help us with our mission. She's joining me in the Economic War Room today. Welcome Catherine.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're so proud to
0: have you here. I mean, you're an amazing lady. You have built a business. You've served our country honorably. You've uh, raised a family. You've done so many things that our viewers can identify with. Can you tell us just a little bit about your story, where you started and where you are now?
1: Yes. I entered the military at 18, looking for funds to help me pay for college and for adventure, to go out and see the world. Upon completing my service in the military, I finished my college degree, worked for a large consulting firm, and then went on to found a company of my own. So in many ways, I see myself as a very typical person who was fortunate to experience the American dream.
0: Yeah. And so what did, what did you learn? in it was the Air Force, right?
1: Yes, it was the Air Force. I served from 1982 through 1986 as a Russian cryptologic linguist.
0: OK, now that's not just average and typical. So you speak Russian.
1: My Russian has deteriorated through the years, but yes, I was trained in Russian for 18 months with the military and, and served as a Russian cryptologic linguist.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, and that it was at that time, I remember that, that was the height of the Cold War. That was where we really worried what the Russians were thinking. And then it kind of dissipated for a while. Now we're worried again, you know, with the Ukraine situation. But All right, so that's amazing as an experience. Did you learn anything special during that time?
1: I learned a lot of things at that time that I thought would never be relevant to my life. Uh, I was actually stationed in Misawa, Japan, right before the Soviet Union shot down 007, the Korean airline that flew over the Sakhalin Island. you know, it was the height of the Cold War, and we were all afraid of the Soviet Union, and rightly so. Um, I, my, Both my training and my informal study took me deep into the ways of the Soviet society, the ways of Maoist China, the tyrannical and deceptive manner in which they manipulated their own citizens and used them. You know, it was was all horrifying and I was strangely fascinated by it all and felt that it was something far away and long ago that would never be relevant to my life. and now, Look.
0: sadly, you're beginning to see that reemerge here in your own home country.
1: Exactly. Okay. It's frightening.
0: So that was part of your experience. So you learned that. You served there. And thank you for your service. And we won the Cold War. We, we had demonstrated to the world that the liberty approach is a superior approach. But now we're facing those challenges again. So let's next go to your business life. You went to work for a consulting firm. What did you learn there?
1: You know, in the consulting firm, I learned a lot about structuring work and about providing value as a way of generating profits. First, focus on value and profits will take care of itself. You know, I had a tremendous experience and learned about teamwork and the importance of having the right values at the top of every organization. You know, all things that I saw reflected in our society and in our culture and in our country at that time.
0: Yeah, so you saw the contrast between the evils of communism yes. and the opportunities of America and that spurred you then to start your business.
1: Exactly, um, I, I saw, I sought to start my own business because I wanted a way to have work-life balance at the time when I was getting ready to start a family. So after a few flops, which I think is uh, far for the course with any entrepreneur, I I found the right formula and started a company serving K through 12 private schools with software and payment services. That company grew from 04 to 2014, we bootstrapped it. Um, we served over 1,200 K-12 through schools in 48 states.
0: Wow. That's also an amazing American story. I mean, I, I love it. Your life has been, been you know, the kind of things that you would write novels about, of, of starting out just trying to pay for school and then ending up owning and building a very successful business.
1: It sometimes felt like a fantasy. I mean, not that it wasn't without a lot of Um, struggle and hard work but that it all turned out that i did achieve the american dream was is just extraordinary and i feel tremendously grateful for that
0: well we're going to need to take a break when we come back let's talk about your business a bit and then talk about how uh, average americans can move forward and some of the things that you've been working with us on We've been talking with Catherine Novikov about her history, her time in the military and starting a business, and also we're going to talk about her journey to find investments that support her family, her country, and her values, uh, liberty, security, and values. Now, Catherine, you've had a, a history. You, you built a business. You were a successful entrepreneur, um, and you learned a lot of lessons in all of that. Now I'd like to turn to, what do you do? You sold your business, and now you've got some investment money. What do you want out of your investments?
1: Most of all, I want my investment dollars to go to preserving and protecting the way of life that I've had the great privilege as an American to experience. I want to make sure that this country and the Western world, and the world in, as a, as a planet offers people the opportunity to use their talents to provide value to others and to do that in a way that allows them to support their family and to raise their children i want my investment dollars to go to the continued cycle of positive constructive business activity in the u.s and abroad yeah well we've talked
0: about this uh you know, you're afraid as i think we are and all our viewers are that uh, that once great American system of uh, investing and so forth has been weaponized and is taking us that direction you did not want to go, what you saw in, in the Soviet Union and communism, rather than giving the opportunity like you enjoyed to build a business and to provide a good service and to help schools and all of that. Is, is that, am I putting words in your mouth?
1: No, that's exactly right. Um, I have read both of your books and I pay quite close attention to global affairs and, and national affairs and I don't like what I'm seeing at all. Um, people argue over what is going on and what it's called it's not even helpful to worry about what label is on it, but there's a top-down sort of thinking. There's a top-down mentality that's that's permeating the business world, Wall Street's view of the business world that is completely contrary to the entrepreneurial spirit and even contrary to the principles that are necessary for for entrepreneurial activities to thrive.
0: Yeah, well that's, you know, you're 18, you don't have the money to go to college, so you choose to go into the Air Force. And you served your country, which is awesome, Uh, but would you have been picked by elitists? If they were looking across, would they have found Catherine and said, all right, we're gonna help, we're gonna allow her to build and make a great business? Do you think you would have been picked
1: most certainly not, and <laughs> I had nothing to show for me i wasn 't even a very good high school student. I was really rather a weak high school student, part of the reason that the military was an attractive it was good for alternative you, yeah. but that 's exactly right i, I wouldn 't have been picked, and yet I believe that in every in quite a large number of ordinary people who wouldn 't be picked by any kind of elite top down organization, there's talent, and there's ideas, and there's ingenuity, and and that is the basis of our country.
0: Yeah, there's something about America that draws out that spirit in people, and that's why people from around the world want to come here.
1: Precisely so, And, and we've benefited from the entrepreneurial spirit of our naturalized American citizens from all over the world.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. We get talents, but what they all share in common, we hope, is a belief in individual liberty, personal responsibility, the, the opportunity to help others by achieving something of, of great, really. I mean, you help so many people with their schools uh, because they could have payment mechanisms, right? Tell us a little about that business.
1: Sure. Um, our company helped private schools to consolidate and harmonize their payments across their campus. When we would first approach them, they would have in place banks or other financial institutions who just sort of put things in place thinking only about the monetary aspect of it and not thinking about the back-end coordination that would allow for smooth operations on the campus. So we perceived a way of adding value to help them harmonize and make greater sense in addition to reducing costs. And that caused truly the floodgates of clients to open for us without you and without a service like that private schools
0: find it difficult to compete in a modern marketplace and now we're seeing this whole ESG movement with a cancel culture literally saying uh... we don't agree with what you believe we cut you off no banking services for you how does that make you feel
1: that is terrifying me Um, and it's not just being threatened in our country, we, see it, we saw it happen in Canada. The idea that an organization can be cut off from its lifeblood of financial services because its views don't align with the extreme ideological views that are disguised by the nice sounding ESG is just terrifying and, and threatens to undermine everything about our business environment in this country.
0: Well, one of the things I've learned about you is that you have a deep respect for other people. You have a deep respect for different people who have varying belief systems, but you believe passionately in individuals' opportunity to learn and, and develop their own values, which I think is amazing. To, you, share with me what you said about different religions. having They don't all have truth, but they have...
1: Sure, I think the world's with the world's large religions, they're organic, right? They were not dreamt up by academics sitting around in conference rooms as some of our modern theories of the world are. The world's great religions grew organically in different cultures amongst different people. And I find beauty and wisdom in all of them and have through my life enjoyed studying and learning from them. I don't think that they all contain eternal truth. As a Christian, I believe that eternal truth is only found through Christ, but that doesn't mean that there isn't valuable wisdom to be found in Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and, and other organic worldviews that well, sprung you've from pro- human beings. You
0: had the opportunity to live in Japan. You had the opportunity to study other cultures. You found absolute truth, which is awesome. Um, but the idea then that you can superimpose, well, I've decided this is truth and absolute truth, and I'm going to impose that on everybody, that seems foreign to what you believe.
1: Absolutely. and in, in fact, not only have I lived in, um, in, in Japan, I lived in Russia, I lived in England, I lived in France. I've traveled and worked throughout the former Warsaw, Warsaw Pact nations and in the, the Far East, and I've made friends. I married a, for, a, a Russian man um, and made friends from all different countries. And the idea that what people are calling the liberal world order has the right to impose this woke ideology on other countries in the name of top down homogenizing is just it's just horrifying it's the absolute opposite of diversity it's culturally crushing it's culturally annihilating and that anybody goes along with it is just really mind boggling to me. All
0: right, we're going to take another break when we come back let's talk about some action steps on how we can avoid the bad and promote liberty and give people the opportunity through their investing to help make it a better world. Catherine, I've got the letter here that you've been working on to send to your investment advisors. I mean, it's it's a beautiful letter. Um, it what is four, four, four pages printed out. This is important to you. Very. Tell us about what you wrote and what you wish your financial advisor would understand.
1: Well, what I tried to explain in that letter to them, firstly, is that I've been having less than fruitful conversations about my values over time with them. And as a result of those less than fruitful conversations, I decided I had to put it in writing. Um, ESG to me is first and foremost inconsistent with my Judeo-Christian values. Uh, It advocates for a view of the human being that is just completely contrary to the Christian view and actually completely contrary to the view of most major world religions' view of the human being. Um, Secondly, ESG is dangerous to our national security. ESG is supporting businesses who are, in a sense, selling out our country for the sake of profits to China and to other countries who are not our friends. It's, It's... Allowing countries to seem virtuous when, in fact, they're using slave labor in these countries. It's allowing countries to seem virtuous when they're, when they're building their product off of the devastating environmental practices by other countries. So it's hypocritical and it's dangerous to our national security.
0: Yeah, uh, when you say that. You know, no one has anything against the Chinese people. I mean, you've lived in multiple cultures. You've lived in Japan and, and in Eastern Europe and so forth. But the system, which you studied in detail when you were at the Air Force, the system, the repressive nature of it. I mean, I don't think you can talk human atrocity more than live human organ harvesting which is taking place against the Uyghur Muslim people and the Falun Gong and others in China. I mean, that is evil personified.
1: When I think about how we are having conversations as a nation about how to make up for what was done during slavery, I think about that. And then my next thought is, how will we ever make up for what we are enabling in China? Yeah. It is so
0: much worse. And we're enabling it with our own investment dollars. And so I don't think, hey, I only invested in slavery. I, I didn't actually own slaves. I don't think that would fly as an argument today that you, that you were okay.
1: Precisely, and yet good people, nice people I know who I, other soccer moms and dads who I'm on the side of the, of the soccer field with, are thrilled with their returns and don't really look or care to find out what's going on behind those returns. ESG serves as a kind of veneer that makes them feel good about how their money is being used, when in fact, if they looked closely, they would think very differently. What
0: was your awakening moment? When did you just all of a sudden say, what are you doing here? What, what was that moment? Was it gradual or was it all of a sudden?
1: Um, I think for me, because I have paid close attention to international affairs for the past five years. It's been kind of gradual, Um, but honestly, reading your books was very eye-opening to me and brought it all to a head. I think that my background allowed me to understand both of your books in a way that many others may, may not have understood as quickly.
0: Yeah, they were originally written for the intelligence community, at least Secret Weapon was, which is what you were part of.
1: Yes, I was part of the Electronic Security Command during my time in the military and did my last year in the military at the National Security Agency. So perhaps that gave me a little bit of an advantage to understanding them. Um, But I think it's an understanding we need to help bring to everybody, because it's so critical to the safety and security of our our country and, and our children's future and our grandchildren's future.
0: Okay, so one of the things you've done is you've had tried to have conversation with your investment advisor. You've not gotten the response back. And I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm an older guy. I've, I've been in this business since 1981. Um, we were tra- taught from day one, serve the client needs. Find out what your client's needs, wants, and desires are, and find a way to invest and give them the best possible way to to provide for their retirement or send their kids to college or help them buy their dream home or whatever. Uh, It is so foreign to me, the idea to exclude that and say, instead, we're going to take this radical World Economic Forum view of things, and we're going to entice you and then later force you to be part of it. It it just blows my mind that financial advisors don't start with the client what they want.
1: It It blows my mind, too, and it makes me feel that it's almost a form of narcissistic abuse by the financial industry. We'll tell you what's best for you. We'll tell you we'll tell you what your value should be. It's it's a real upside down world. Well what if your
0: advisors don't listen? What if
1: they say we've heard you
0: Catherine but we don't care? What what do you do?
1: Well I think there's two possibilities. They may say we heard you and we don't care. They They may also say, we heard you and we don't want your business. That's possible. Really odd and strange things are happening in the financial industry. But in either of those cases, if they can't meet my needs, I need to find another financial advisor. And that is a great segue, I think, into into how thrilled we are through our small family foundation in what the NSIC is doing to train those advisors. Because I'm not the only person that's going to need An advisor.
0: No, it's shocking to me how many people say my advisor doesn't care, they're not listening, they they won't think this way. But then the challenge becomes, where do I find an advisor who will listen? We started the NSIC Institute, but you've been one of the small ships that has stepped up to say, look, I want to do a part. Tell us about the scholarship program.
1: Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Well, firstly, I think it's, I'm thrilled to see how you see a need and you filled it and you're filling it. And Through our foundation, we want to be one of those small ships. We want to do our small part to kind of put the wind in your sails. So we're announcing a scholarship for five investment advisors to be selected through an essay contest to get a full ride to the Liberty University NSIC Investor Training Program. And we hope to do this on an ongoing basis and to, in some small way, um, help to develop this stable of advisors for whom there is such a great need out there. And that need is going, the need is great now, and the need is going to grow exponentially as the reality of what's going on in our country starts to become obvious to more and more people.
0: Well, all I can say is thank you, Catherine. We really appreciate what you're doing. You are a small ship and you're an American hero. We appreciate you. Thank you. What we're facing is a major change in our nation. You've just heard from Katherine Novikov, who has created a scholarship program. She is being one of those small ships. If you're a financial advisor and you want to learn more, go to our economic battle plan. Every week with every episode, we produce an economic battle plan that details what we shared in the show and then tells you what you can do about it. If you're a client, and you want to invest, you've woken up to the dangers and the evils of ESG and you want to invest with a good financial advisor, then you also need our battle plan. You can get those battle plans at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.